first came to Cyprus, uh, one of my colleagues had a favorite trick of his. He used to enjoy doing this. Uh, outside people would often come to the bank to uh, sell us their services. And in the marketing department, it was often my responsibility to, to listen to them and, and hear what they had to say or uh, engage them. And he would bring them into my office, and, and Ali Bey would uh, introduce me rather grandly. This was, he knew that embarrassed me, so he used to enjoy that himself. But he would do it all in English. And, and the person that was with him, or the, the, the people that were with him, would then have to decide how to take things on. And sometimes they would, they would speak to me in English, and other times if they weren't comfortable speaking to me in English, they would speak to Ali Bey, and he would translate for them. And often as the, the meeting progressed, what invariably would happen is, is, is a conversation in Turkish would envelop, and they'd be sitting talking about things amongst themselves. And then Ali Bey, at the perfect moment, and he was very good at this, he would just turn to me and speak to me in Turkish and ask a question that demanded an answer. And if I was feeling particularly mischievous, I'd just answer in English and see how long it took for the penny to drop. Or alternatively, I'd answer in Turkish. And some of the facial expressions were priceless. When people were processing in their mind that the whole last conversation that they had was understood. Sometimes they were embarrassed. Sometimes they were delighted. And oftentimes it meant that Ali Bey could get a much better deal on what he was wanting to do with them. But there was a shock. And in some small way, this is the shock that Joseph's brothers had. We've got three main points for this morning. And the first one is big surprise. And we pick up from last week. And last week you saw that the brothers who in the past had been so cruel to Joseph, who did not care about him, did not care about his father's feelings, had changed. And we see this in the previous chapter. And the greatest evidence of this change is in Judah. Judah had, had stepped up to the plate and he'd offered himself to stay in Egypt instead of Benjamin. And in his words in chapter 24 and verse 3 was, For how can I go up to see my father if the boy is not with me? I do not want to see the misery which will find my father. Sorry, that's verse 34. And so there was this change. And so the first big surprise here is, I think, there's Joseph's joyous surprise. Jo Joseph is, is pleasantly surprised. He's delighted to see this change in his brothers, this evidence of change that, that starts in the, 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 from chapter 45. Joseph, we see here in chapter 45, he starts himself and it says he's not able to control himself before all who are standing by him. The emotion was too much for him. I'm not sure where his emotions would have been. They would have been all over the place. There was joy. There was excitement. There was concern. There was upset. There were his brothers. And his brothers had been really wicked and evil to him. And here he sees them this 22 years later. 
and he sees that they are changed. And he sees what's going on, and I don't think we can really enter into the magnitude of what is happening here. For some of you, a little glimpse of what is happening here is when you go back home. You've been in Cyprus four or five Ten years and you haven't seen your parents and you go back and you see them and there's a great joy and a great excitement there. Maybe for some of you, you're going to go back to people that upset you. And still there's all that emotion that's going on. We, we, we read, you read previously that he, his brothers came that first time. They didn't recognize him and he sent them away but he told them to, to come back. And he kept one of the other brothers as, as, as ransom, as it were. And I think Joseph was waiting. Have my brothers changed? Will they come back? Will, will these things have mattered? Will they sell Simeon short and leave him here? And, and the brothers came back, and in their coming back, they, they proved that something had, was changing in their lives. They, they, they were different. And, and here is Judah laying down his own situation for the benefit of the family, for the benefit of his father, so different to what they were like those 22 years ago. And then in their midst is his full brother who he's never seen before. C- can you imagine a meeting a sibling that you'd never seen before? You'd only heard about them? And, and there they are. They, 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 he's meeting and he's there. And, and his father is... Still alive, yet his father thought that he was dead. And his brothers are at his total mercy. And all these things are are buzzing through his head and through his mind. And his his emotions are all over the place. I don't even know if he thought about the dream that we read of in chapter 37. Which was panning out in front of him. His brothers bowing down before him. That dream of 22 plus years was there playing out. And so, I only think that Joseph's joyous surprise was eclipsed by the brother's nasty surprise. And and last week, you saw from chapter 44 that the the brothers have the the, the shock of being chastened down by Joseph's men, and they're accused of having stolen his cup. And and they all proclaim their innocence, and then their hearts sink because the cup is found in Benjamin's possession. And, And the bottom of the brothers' world had just totally and utterly fallen out because this Egyptian lord was demanding that Benjamin should stay in Egypt. And the consequences of this were, were too much of them. And they would have remembered their, their father's words. In chapter 42 and verse 38, we have them recorded. And he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone remains. If any harm meets him on the journey that you would take him, you would bring down my gray hairs in sorrow. To Shiloh. This is what they were thinking. And, and when things are bad in life, yeah, it, when things get bad in life, us, us English, we've got a strange sort of response to that. When things get bad, we say, 
You may have heard Pastor Phil say this. It could be worse. Things could get worse. And for the brothers, nothing that happened could be worse. The worst case scenario to them had happened. The worst case scenario to them of all what was going on in their lives was Benjamin wouldn't be able to go back to his father. And then things start getting really weird and and really strange. Because this Egyptian lord who's there and presiding over them, who normally is so cool and calm and collected, they could see that he was getting a bit agitated. And in his agitation, he demands that all his aides, all the guards, all the people are sent out. And he's just left there with the brothers. And then he starts to cry. And this is no little cry. The the, the, the original here really emphasizes he's crying really loudly. And can you imagine where these guys are at? They're they're looking and they're seeing this Egyptian lord. They've got no idea who he is. Their, Their lives and their future are in his hands. And then he says, I am Joseph. We know this story. But they didn't. They had not got a clue of this. The worst that they thought had happened to them. And then, bang, it just got a whole heap worse for them. It's a bombshell of all the scenarios they could imagine. This was not anything they could ever have imagined. Perhaps Benjamin was kept, but at least I am Joseph. The 22-year-old lie. The sin that had been hidden away from everybody is just ripped open. And there is Joseph in front of them. And just previously, in the previous chapter, they've told this guy, this Joseph, this Egyptian lord, what their father had said. And Jacob had said this, You know yourselves that my wife bore two sons to me. One went out from me, and I said, surely he must have been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. Moments earlier, they were telling and repeating the lie that they told those 22 years ago that Joseph had been eaten by an animal. And there he is in front of them. 22 years of managing a guilty conscience. 22 years of looking around the meal table and seeing the empty place and seeing their sighing father and and, and having that upon them. A grieving father and an untold truth. And their father believing surely he must have been torn to pieces. If you thought that this moment was hard for Joseph, what must it have been like for these brothers? Their darkest secret blown open into the light of the world. What would Joseph do now? We have another expression in English. I don't know if it's one that you're familiar with, but we say that revenge is best served cold. This was 22 years cold. Can you imagine the plans that Joseph could have come up for them? If I get my chance now, what can I do? 
And all these things were going through their minds because Joseph is no silly little dreamer. He is second to the most powerful man in the known world. And he's there in front of him. And then the subtlety of God's words and Moses' genius used by the Holy Spirit says it all. And his brothers were unable to answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Everything they've been trying to forget, everything that haunted them in their dreams is there in front of him. Now, while we can't comprehend what Joseph was going through, the type of his, the type of experience that the brothers were facing is something that we might be more familiar with. In fact, it's the type of experience that it would actually be good for us to go through. And you might be thinking, how can, how can that be? And it's like this. You see... For these brothers to be truly forgiven, they needed to see the horror of their sins. And if we want to be truly forgiven, if we want to know what it is to have our personal sins forgiven, we need to see something of the horror of our sins. And we need to go through something like the experience of these brothers to have our sins brought there in front of us. And we need to be convicted of them. This is part of the salvation process. The theologians would call it conviction of sin. And then it's an essential part of salvation. If you think that you're a Christian and you've never been convicted of your sins, then what have you been saved from? What's it all about? What's the big deal? We, we need to go through this. We need to take responsibility for our falling short of, of, of God's standards. And, and the first step of conversion is conviction of sin. And these brothers had to, to go through this painful process. You can, you can imagine their thoughts. There they are stood in front of Joseph, the second most powerful person in the world. And they're as guilty as guilty can be, and there's nothing they can do about that. And, and he's there, and what will he do to us? I mean, can, can you imagine if you were Joseph, and that happened to you? What things would you be tempted to do to your brothers in that environment? And that's what they'd be thinking. We sold him to Egypt. He's suffered for this last 22 years. What's he going to do to us? And then perhaps if their minds got past that, what will our father say? Can you imagine confessing a 22-year lie to your parents? And then there's Benjamin there. Benjamin had no clue what was going on. This poor guy scratching his head. He'd been sucked through this whole lie. He didn't know that he got a, a brother that was alive. He didn't know what his brothers, uh, brothers did. He's probably thinking, it's a good job they didn't kill me on the way out here. He, what was going I mean, everything is coming out in the open. Will we ever get home? And I'm thinking, they're thinking to themselves, if only I hadn't agreed to this. 
If only I'd been a bit stronger. If only I hadn't gone along with this plan. How stupid was I? What could I be thinking of? And you know those emotions, don't you? That that happens when we sin. When we sin, our conscience comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we go through these things. And we need to. And how would they have felt when they realized that after Joseph introduced himself, I am Joseph, what was his first question? Is my father still alive? What they'd put through Joseph through isn't what it only was. It's what they put their father through. And then there was Joseph, and he was not sure he'd ever get to see his father again. And you see, friends, the consequences of sin are frightful. And here the brothers come face to face with them. And these brothers were were totally at the mercy of Joseph, who they'd sinned against. There he was, number two in the kingdom, whatever he said would happen. There they are, guilty, charged in front of them. Their 22 years worth of sin open there in front of him. And he had the power to do just what he liked. And friends, our situation is far worse. We, we, we sinned against the living God. The creator, the sustainer of the heavens and the earth, the owner of everything. He is totally perfect. And he is eternally offended by our rebellion. One white lie or pink lie or whatever your culture says that little fluffy thing is. It is sin and it's rebellion against God. And that one sin, that one tiny little thing which you may not think is big, it deserves an eternal judgment from an eternal God. And when we feel the pressure of our sins upon us, which we should do, we need to realize that we are totally at the mercy of God who we've sinned against. And the Almighty God has the power to do just what He likes. Joseph in this chapter is an immense picture of forgiveness. Joseph chose to forgive his brothers. I don't like to think about this question, but it's good for us too, because it helps us understand what's going on here. Had you been Joseph, and had they been your brothers, and had you had the whole power of the world in front of you, would you have forgiven them? Or would you have toyed with them for a little while? Would you have had them make a few pyramids for you? It was all there his disposal but he chose to forgive and friends this is the the, the remarkable thing with the Christian walk God chooses his people who he forgives and he can forgive us because Jesus has taken the punishment that we deserve Friend, if if you are here and you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's because God has chosen you, worked in your heart, and brought you to that position. And your sins were laid on the cross at Calvary. 
Your forgiveness is through Christ Jesus. And God's word teaches us that the the only way that we can receive this forgiveness is through repentance and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you haven't confessed your sins, and if you haven't brought that mess that's in front of you that condemns you before the Almighty God, today, now, is the time to do it. God has promised in his word that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. All that mess. All that secret sins. All those things you wouldn't want anyone to know about. It can be taken up and wrapped in the cross of Calvary. And the means of receiving that grace is coming in repentance. You see, these brothers did nothing to merit their forgiveness. It was Joseph's choice. And we can do nothing to merit our forgiveness. But we can be forgiven by a God who chooses. And the way that we receive that is coming to him and asking. Joseph chose to forgive and I believe he could because he personally knew the big God and after our big surprise our second heading is the big God or big God see these brothers are in absolute total shock their their heads are spinning there's a thousand and one emotions whirring around And this is what their brother goes on to say to them in verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He doesn't shy away from the sin. You sold me here. He doesn't make excuses for their personal involvement. But, but he does have this mind-blowing insight to the situation that God is greater than their own sinful actions. God sent me before you to preserve life. God has used the wickedness of their own hearts to preserve life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this just incredible? It's just surreal what's going on here. You see, if you fast track in your mind, Joseph had this dream, didn't he? And he dreamt that his brothers were bowing down to him. And he goes and tells his brothers about this dream. And his brothers get distressed and upset. And so they say, we'll get rid of him. And the very thing that they do to get rid of him is the very thing that brings that dream into reality. There's an irony there. There's a satire there. There is a God Almighty on his throne there. And then Joseph explains this situation, what's going on. He explains the famine situation. He explains that they've only had two years. There's five more years to come. Remember all those great harvests you had. That was a precursor to seven years of famine. We're in the first two. There's five more to come. And then he reiterates that God's hand is in it all in verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you 
a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Look at the theology that's going on here. Look at what's happening here. You see, if you go back, Pharaoh thought that Joseph had been sent there to save him and the Egyptians. And that's a, a byproduct of what was going on. The pyramids that we could enjoy is because Joseph did what God told him to do and God did his work. But the reality was bigger than this. He says it was to preserve you. He's looking his brothers in his eyes, his brothers who sold him. And he said, the very reason that you sold me wasn't, was beyond your wickedness. It was because God sent me to preserve life. Uh, and Joseph now, in this verse, we can see that he clearly saw what these last 22 years were about. The, the rejection of his brothers. The fear of that journey to Egypt. The, 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 being, the humiliation of being sold in a slave market and taken by Potiphar. The humiliation of Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him and then him being accused of rape and then him being put in, in prison and humiliated. And Who would have been believed? The little Hebrew boy or Potiphar's wife? All this was upon him, the suffering, the pain, the loneliness, the hard work that he'd gone through, the injustice. And then, yes, I'm going to get out of here because I've interpreted this dream and, and, and it's all going to work out for me. And still he languishes in prison. And it was all part of God's plan to keep his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. To preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. And, and Joseph is so sincere about this point that he keeps making it. And Moses keeps recording it. And the Holy Spirit has inspired it. And it's heaping up here upon us in verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Hang about Joseph. Who did this? They did it. They sinned. They were wicked. Their plans were motivated by selfishness and hatred. But ultimately, God has the ultimate plan here. And the ultimate plan here was God had a purpose for him to be there. And he went through all that messed up suffering. But even despite that messed up suffering, as he looks back on it and sees it here, and through what's been working in his life, he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. And, and so often we, we miss the point, don't we? As Emmanuel was saying, when we, when we get to that great chapter of, of uh, Joseph and, and his promotion and his rags to riches in that day, he's in prison in the morning and then he's second in charge of Egypt, just Mind-blowing promotion. And, and sadly so often that gets taken as being the, the real message of Joseph. The real message of Joseph is one day God will come as your fairy godmother. Sprinkle fairy dust upon you. And then you will be, wow, at the top of the tree. Well, the reality is Joseph's promotion was nothing about Joseph being promoted. It was all about how God would use Joseph's promotion to save the nation of Israel and do so much more than that too. And Joseph wanted his brothers to know that the good that he received was from God too. 
as he wants his brothers to go back and get his father. In verse 8, he says, this is a message to tell him. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord over all his house and the ruler over the land of Egypt. And then this is what he says to tell to his father. The first words that his father is going to hear from Joseph is God. God made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. And then here is Joseph giving God the glory. And as we look at this passage, this passage is giving us a master class in what is, is, is a very difficult subject and a very difficult lesson. And it's what underpins and under, it's what is the foundation of God's greatness. And it's something we can struggle with. And there's a master class here of God's sovereignty and man's freedom. And we need to think about this because it's so, so important. Joseph's brothers' sins and actions were theirs and theirs alone. They chose to do that. They chose to act on their wicked hatred. That's what they chose to do. That was their responsibility, their decision. It was out of their own free choice, out of their own free will, if you like. That wickedness, it was there. They acted on it. They did it. It was them that did it. It was their responsibility. But their sin is not outside of God's sovereign plan. Ultimately, God sent Joseph to Egypt as part of his great plan. And he used the sinful actions of the brothers to achieve his plan. And this is breathtaking. But this can mess with our heads because we, 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 we don't like it. You see, we want to understand God. Friends, you are not going to understand God because you are not God. That's, that's the baseline. And we get into so much trouble when we think that we can philosophize, when we think we can intellectually get our minds around God. We can't. God is vastly greater than us. Vastly greater than us isn't big enough to say how great he is, greater than us than he is. And, and you see here, this messes with our head because we can think, well, we start working it like this. How can humans have freedom of choice and God have an ultimate plan? Doesn't that make us all robots? No, it doesn't. Well, how does that work? I don't know. But that's what God's word says. And let's not fight God's word. Let's not fight God. Let's us rejoice in this amazing fact that we have the ability and freedom to make these choices. And sadly, we make them so horrendously wrong. But in the same token, the mess that we get ourselves in, this our responsibility, our God is greater than that. And his plan is greater than that. And we see it here, and he says later, and I don't want to steal anyone's thunder. Sorry, Manuel. But he says, you meant this for sin. You meant this for bad. And God used it for good. And this is the greatness of God. And, and friends, don't get upset by this so you don't understand it. Delight in the fact that you don't understand it. Do you want a God that you can understand? Because if you have a God that you can understand, he is smaller than you. You want to sing, my God is big, my God is great. And then you say, but I can understand him. There's no bigness or greatness there. We, we, we want to delight in this sovereign God who is in control of everything. 
And yes, we might not understand it, but then we say, oh God, your plan's not fair. Well, how arrogant. How greatly arrogant that is. Do, do, we, do you sometimes see yourself saying that? I know that I'm guilty of it. This situation, it shouldn't happen to me. Well, who am I to say? And then Joseph could have been there walking behind those, those, those slave traders. This isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening to me. Why is this happening to me? Why has God forgotten me? And God got a perfect plan there for it. And then those brothers simply thinking when Joseph says, I am Joseph. God, why is this happening to me? God has got a perfect plan and his plan is fair because God is fair and God is righteous. And anything that we do to attack God's sovereignty attacks the very nature of who God is himself. You don't want a little pathetic puny God that's on our level. We need God who is God. And then sometimes we think that in our great wisdom, we could do things much better. Oh, if only God had given me a master's in two years. Well, that might have been nice, but that wasn't God's plan for you. He planned for you to hear a few more sermons in LPC. I don't know what the plan is, but he's got a plan for you, and it's a plan that's good, and it's a plan that will work out to his glory, and it's a plan that is greater than ourselves. And you see, when we have these notions, and when we fight God's sovereignty, and when we don't want to understand our responsibility and our free will within that, what we're wanting to do is to reduce God into something we can understand and control. And that's a fearful place to go. Who needs a God that we can put into a little box and neatly get out at Christmas time? It's not what we need. We need a relationship with the living God. And you see, if it wasn't for God's sovereignty and man's freedom, there would be no salvation. In some ways, if it wasn't for God's sovereignty and man's freedom, there'd be no need for salvation, but that's another sermon. But what I just want to say here is I want to bring you to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22. And they're in the upper room. And Jesus is just there, and he's washed his disciples' feet, and he's broken bread with them. In verse 21, he says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. That's the sovereign will of God. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That is the free will and the free choice. And that is the tension. God determined that Christ would die on the cross for the sins of his people. And in his determining that, Judas was the man that would betray him. Judas' sin and betrayal will be upon himself for the whole of eternity. And Christ's plan has come to fruition. God's plan has come to fruition. And we can be made right with God. God's sovereignty and man's freedom is essential to our salvation. And with man's freedom, there is a responsibility that we have, but again, that's another story for another day. But I want us to, to close here with the final point. 
and that is big plan. We've had a big surprise. We've seen a big God. And now there is a big plan. Joseph wanted his family to come to Egypt so that they'd be saved. There was famine coming. He knew this famine was coming, and he wanted the people to come to Egypt to be saved. And Pharaoh wanted Jacob, his father, and his father's family to come to Egypt because Joseph was valued. And he wanted to honor Joseph. And Joseph, had, in his eyes, had saved the nation of Egypt. And he was a great guy, and he didn't want him to be distracted. And he wanted him, well, I'm reading into the passage there, so you can think of that how you like. But this is what was going on. Pharaoh had an idea, and he wanted him to come. Joseph had an idea and wanted to come. Jacob had an idea. Jacob, when he heard the news, he wanted to go to Egypt to see Joseph. But friends, we have to take a step back here. It was God who wanted Jacob and the children of Israel to go to Egypt because it was his plan and it was his purpose. You see, as, as he's called to go, I think Jacob was a little bit stressed by this. And, and so he goes via Bathsheba and he offers his sacrifices because I, I think that in his mind he remembered that when Abraham went to Egypt, he sinned. And Isaac was forbidden to go there. And in his mind there was probably this tension, but God reassured him and God spoke to him. And in verse 3 of this chapter 46, God says directly to Joseph, I am the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Our friends have come across from America, and they've bought a round trip. He brings them here and takes them home again. And this is what God promised Isaac. It's for Israel. The, the, the promise there is a round trip. He says, I myself will go down with you and I also will bring you up again. And then he says, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. And then we're thinking, well, hang about God. What's going on here? And it's because the promise is bigger than one person. The promise here has been spoken to Israel, God's people. The promise goes back to the promise that was given to Abraham to make him a great nation, to give him a land, and to be a blessing to all the nations. And you see, the promise is that God will go with him, and the promise is that God will be upon him. And, and yes, his bones do get back. But, but the big deal here is God has got a plan for his children of Israel. But he doesn't tell Jacob everything, does he? He doesn't go into all the details. We know the story. We can fast forward. The pyramids are there because the slaves were driven. The Hebrew slaves were driven, and it was a horrendous time for them. And then they're there for over 400 years, and they have to go through the wilderness for 40 years, and it's all a mess, and it's hard. But God doesn't tell Jacob that. He just says, Jacob, I have a plan. But what he really says here, and what I want us to, to grasp is this. Is he effectively says in the beginning of that verse 3, I am God. And then he opens up and says, I 
am in control. And then he adds it. And you can trust me. I will bring to pass all that I have promised. And friends, that's all we need to know. That's all you need to know. I can tell you that your life will become messy. There'll be challenges and there'll be difficulties. Those things that will happen to you that you wished never happened to you. There'll be joys, I'm sure, as well. There'll be high points. But life will have its ups and its downs. It'll have its challenges and its traumas. But within all of this, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, if we're a child of His, we can take this step back and look on this situation and say, I have no idea how tomorrow will turn out. But God is saying to us, I am God. Not a little puny God that we can understand. A great, vast God who is so much greater than us. Who can have his own sovereignty. And he can have us and have our freedom alongside it. And how he does that we don't know. But that's our great God. And he's saying, I am God and I am in control. Your tomorrow is in control. Your exam results. Your health test results. Your family situation. Even that dark, wicked sin that you are trying to get rid of. And it's messing with your head. It is in God's control. It's all there. And you can trust me. That's what God is saying. I will bring to pass all that I have promised. And believe a Christian friend, your best life is not now. It's the promise of what's to come. The promised land for us isn't your tomorrow when you get your PhD. It isn't your tomorrow when you land that great job or you become the diplomat for the most important country in the world. Your your, your promised land is not getting to, dare I say, America or Canada or the UK or Europe or wherever else it has your mind on it. That is not the promised land. Everything in this world, like I was trying to tell the children this morning, will perish. The promises on the banknotes will become worthless. But friends, we are going to a promised land. And we go through it through sin and pain and upset and suffering. And that's what God uses to take us there. But throughout that process, God is saying to you now, I am God. I am in control. You can trust me. And friends, the big surprise of this chapter to me is this. The big surprise is this big God has a big plan for you. And as I wrote that, I thought, can I truly say that? Because this room will be divided and there'll be people here who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God is their Heavenly Father. And there'll be those who don't. And this is the reality. God has got a plan for all of us. And as we stand here now, God's word shouts out to us. And Joshua said to his people, decide who you are going to serve. What is God's plan for you? You see, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, your plan is an eternity with God. Him. 
no more pain, no more suffering, no more parting. All your tears being washed away. But if at this moment in time you do not know the Lord as your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, your eternity will be paying the price for those sins. And as Pastor Andrew has often said, while there is life, there is hope. And for each and every one of you that call on the name of the Lord now, you will be saved. And you don't have to worry about that. And that big plan that God has for you will be immense.